super excited to introduce Ron to Troop Soapbox. Ron has been named the godfather of angel investing, right? Has invested in over 500 companies, has invested in companies such as Google, Twitter, uh, PayPal, many, many others. Facebook. Facebook, of course. <laughs> that little company. The new web. <laughs> so, um, just really excited to have you here, Ron. Let's welcome Ron to Zerp Soapbox. Thank you. So, um, I'd like to kind of get started and talk a little bit about the term angel investing. And, um, you know, it, it started out back in the 30s or so, but I'd like you to define what angel investing is and uh, what does an, an angel investor do for an entrepreneur? Uh, sure. Uh, if I'm right, the term angel investing did start in the 30s uh, in the movie industry down in L.A. Um, and the movie industry, I think, is similar to the uh, investing, the tech investing environment um, because the movie business is a hits business. And I believe that the investing business is also a hits business. Uh, over my career, each investment cycle, uh, we have had a hit in each investment cycle that paid for all the rest of the portfolio companies, including all the failure rate, including all the failures. And the failure rate in startups, unfortunately, is, is pretty high. Um, but in the movie industry, you know, they got individuals to invest in the 30s. And those individuals, if they invested in Butch Cassidy and the Sundance right. Kid or something, uh, they made a hit. Uh, so it's an old term. Uh, in tech, it's what I equate it to is angel investing is the group of investors who invest in raw startups. And raw startups are easy to define. I define them as four or less people who have started a company. Um, so angel investing is, are, the, are the group of individuals who invest in raw startups. Um, and so why would I want angel investing? Why would I want angel funding? Well, before you, do, before you want angel funding, you want to bootstrap. Okay. Um, bootstrapping, bootstrapping your company as long as you possibly can is the best thing you could ever do because then you own the whole company. And my favorite example of a bootstrap startup that never got funded is TechCrunch by Michael Arrington. So when Michael Arrington sold TechCrunch to AOL because he owned the company, basically, he was by far the largest shareholder, he got all the income from that. That's the best outcome ever. Now, I would have liked to have been an angel investor in TechCrunch, but the outcome for Michael Arrington was much, much better that he took no angel funding from anybody. Um, so boot, I'm a, I just don't want to say you go right into angel investing. Okay. Use your credit card bill, your credit card credit. Um, you know, do whatever you can to get the company as far as you can so that by the time you do go for angel investment, um, you've accomplished enough and have a working prototype, hopefully with users, then you get a higher valuation and therefore suffer less dilution. Um, one thing about me is I, I always speak from the point of view of the entrepreneur. We, we are very 
um, respectful of entrepreneurs. I think anyone who has the guts to start a company uh, should get it funded. And probably my estimate is probably 10% of you who want to start a company will actually get it funded. Um, there aren't enough angels out there. And in my opinion, the more the merrier because we keep innovation in the Bay Area if we fund more, more startups. What are the, tell us the stats. How many, how many deals do you get a day? How many of those do you actually look at seriously? Out of those, how many return your money? How many fail? How many succeed? Great. This is a crash course, <laughs> an MBA at lunch. Um, so we see five new – so SV Angel is six people. So it's by far not just me, but it's a team of six people. We invest out of a fund that's uh, like a $30 million fund, uh, and we're on the SV3 fund right now. So you know, there was SV1, SV2. We're now investing out of a fund called SV3. So there's six people sifting through this deal flow. We see five new deals a day. Because I've been doing this since 1994, um, the five deals we get a day, all via email, are all from people that we know already. So we don't, we don't really see deals that come across the transom. Because our network is so huge, since I've been doing this since 1994, um, these are all people that we know. We either know the entrepreneur or the referral source. Um, uh, as awful as this sounds, we see five a day, which is 30 a week, and we invest in one company out of 30 that we see. So we invest in one company a week. Um, of the five a day that we get, we turn down at least two to three um, via email without even a phone call. Um, so uh, that, that says how competitive this market is. That's why I know that only about 10% of the entrepreneurs who want to get funded get funded just from our own stats. At our weekly investment committee meeting, if a company looks interesting, so the due diligence gets assigned among the six people. I, I actually don't do any due diligence. I help companies at inflection points. So I help companies that, that have much bigger issues that need my expertise. So you know, every, we do all the work out based by expertise. Um, but at our investment committee meeting, we vote whether or not we're going to make a phone call to that company. So whoever's doing the due diligence says, I think I got one that I think is interesting. I like what I see on paper. And we say, okay, make a phone call. That's how valuable a phone call is. Then that person calls the company. If he likes that, the next week uh, he says, guess what? The phone call was so good I want a meeting. And we vote whether or not to have a meeting because sometimes we say, no, cluttered space, can't do a meeting. Um, that's how brutal it is. Um, so we vote for the meeting. What the entrepreneur should realize, and this is a little secret, by the time we meet face-to-face -face with you, we're actually a lot further along to investing than the entrepreneur normally thinks we are because we have this process. Right. Um, and then if that meeting goes well, then we invest. So over the course of, you know, if there's not urgency, over the course of five weeks, you know, three to five weeks, we will, we will make the investment. And that's one out of 30 that, that we look at. Now, you asked something else, and I already forgot. Uh, 
the the pitch? What do you kind of look for in the pitch when you invest? Um, so we invest in people first, the idea second, and the market size third. And there's other investors that invest only if they think the market size is big. There's other investors that only invest if they like the idea. We happen to invest if we like the entrepreneur. It's our belief that the idea that we're seeing is going to morph so much that we shouldn't get wedded to the idea. We'd rather get wedded to the individual. And as that company morphs, we're perfectly happy because we invest in the, in the person. And the, the traits that we look for are, you know, can this person be a leader? Can this person build a team? By the time we see them, uh, there are very few single entrepreneur startups. So 90% of the time, it's a group of three and three founders. And so we, already, we always watch for the dynamic between the three founders because whoever's the CEO selected the other two founders. And we watch for their dynamic and, and want to make sure that the, that, that, that the CEO is a leader and can attract a team, is flexible, flexible enough that they can admit six months into it that, hey, this isn't getting traction and this is all about building traction. We're going to change the idea. So lots of entrepreneurs come to us after six months and say, I got bad news, you know, don't shoot me, but I don't think my idea works. And that's something we actually love. That's when we pat the entrepreneur on the back and say, awesome, we didn't have to tell you you weren't getting traction. You saw it, and you're fixing it yourself. That's what we call a flexible entrepreneur. Um, so we, we try and predict all these traits as, as we're talking. Most of the companies out most of the successful companies out there, oh, you asked for failure rate. Failure. So I'll answer that too. Well, why don't I answer that right now? Um, uh, I've been doing this since 1994, and the best decision I ever made in my life was to, in 1994, to only invest in this thing called the Internet. And in 1994, Mark Andreessen was still a student at the University of Illinois, just to give you a perspective. And so in 94, I decided internet software only. Today, only, I only invest in internet software. Um, we think it's the most exciting growth market there could ever be. Um, but in 99, uh, when, the, when the bubble burst, 80% of our portfolio went out of business. Thank God for Google. Because we had Google in both our active portfolios. And like I say, it's a hits business. Google paid for 80% of the companies that didn't return a nickel, plus a bucket of money on top of that. Um, the failure rate in this market has lowered in our portfolio all the way down to 30%. And a lot of that is because starting a company today doesn't cost as much, and therefore more companies are getting started, which I think is awesome for innovation. But the failure rate is... Is, is about 30% today. Um, so back to the hits business. So, or, you know, so I, I keep saying it's a hits business. So today, about a third of the companies fail. About a third of the companies are what I call base hits. We get one or two, maybe three times our money back. And that's great. If you're an entrepreneur, 
and you get one, two, or three extra money back, that is success. I get very irritated with entrepreneurs who come to me and say, I'm sorry, I only got you two extra money back. I say, you got an attitude problem. You're not part of the third that went out of business. Those are the ones, and they shouldn't be sorry. These are brave entrepreneurs who started a company. But those are the ones that if you can't return the money, that is something that you want to have regrets about. But uh, entrepreneur, I define any entrepreneur that returns money back as a, as a success, and I truly believe that. So that's a third of the portfolio. And then the top third of the portfolio are companies that we get four or five or Google times our money back. Um, and so it's basically a third, a third, a third um, is, is, is how it works. But that one big winner, the Google, the Facebook, the Twitter, the PayPal, they pay for everything. So it's, re it's really the, the needle in the haystack that, that kills it. Do you ever invest in failures afterwards if they have another idea? Say an entrepreneur has another oh, yeah. idea. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the founders of Napster would be an awesome example. Uh, okay. Sean Fanning, we invested in Sean Fanning. Napster failed. Not his fault, of course. Um, and then, then Sean and I founded a company called Snowcap, where we wanted to solve the rights management issues. That failed. And then Sean founded Rupture, which we later sold to EA, and that was Sean Fanning's first hit. So we had two failures together before the hit. Right. So we just like, like I say, we invest in the individual not not their track record. So we think Sean Fanning was born to be an entrepreneur, and so we wanted to keep backing him. Okay. Um, and sure enough, he, 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 he came up with, with a hit. I do think entrepreneurship is genetic. I think it's, it's in people's blood. So once you start one company, you're going to start two, three, four, five. It's very rare that I see an entrepreneur start a company and then go work for Hewlett-Packard. Um, right. I do believe it's genetic. I have no proof, but <laughs> yeah, once an entrepreneur, always an entrepreneur is is what we see, and we love that. You know, Sean Fanning's on his fifth company. I think he's got at least three or four more left. You know, he 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 in his career, he may he'll start at least nine or ten companies. So. Who's like the Michael Jordan of all the entrepreneurs you've ever invested in? There's a lot of people over five. Wow. Um, the, I think Sean Fanning is a Michael Jordan. I think Sean Parker is a Michael Jordan. I think Larry Page is a Michael Jordan. Okay. I think Jack Dorsey is a Michael Jordan. Okay. There is no one answer to that. Okay. Um, uh, Mark Zuckerberg, for yeah. sure. Okay. <laughs> for sure, Mike Jordan. So Silicon Valley in the Bay Area have produced, you know, keep in mind, every name I just called out is from the Bay Area. Now, I think Andrew Mason at Groupon, which is in Chicago, I think Andrew, I, you, you say Michael Jordan, what I, what, I do, what, I, what I say about entrepreneurs instead of Michael Jordan, I say that's a defining entrepreneur. And a defining entrepreneur in my mind is someone who creates a market and is a product visionary. So all the names I just named, you know, Jack Dorsey, Zuck, Fanning, you think about them, these are product visionaries who own the mind of their consumer. 
You know, Zuckerberg owns the mind of the Facebook user. He knows more about what those 700 million people are thinking than any of them. And that's, that's the gift of Mark Zuckerberg. Um, so the Michael Jordans, you know, I, I, what did I, I rattled off five. Yeah, I could rattle off more. But, yeah, don't forget Andrew Mason. Right. Uh, I think Dennis Crowley at Foursquare. So there's one in New York, too. New York has a Michael Jordan. So just I want to move on to uh, September 2010. There was an email that Michael Erickson published on TechCrunch that was sent from you. In the email, you mentioned something um, to the extent of, I wish that the angel investor community had the integrity and values, the same integrity values as entrepreneurs. And I've always kind of, it's been in my mind since I read it then. Um, this is like a year. A year. A year ago. Yeah, a year ago or so. Um, like five years ago. <laughs> can you go into details, kind of what did you mean by that? Well, I, um, I think all angel investors should care about is adding value to the entrepreneur. Making money is a byproduct of adding value to an entrepreneur. And, and I, I, I don't want to talk about that group of people, but there are some people that I think angel invest because they think they're going to make a quick hit. Um, and th th there are no quick hits. You, you, get, what, you get what you give. Um, so our, our methodology at SV Angel is that we invest and we want to add value to that company at inflection points. We don't take board seats. We don't look over the entrepreneur's shoulder. You know, when we give the – and by the way, our average investment is 50 to 200K is the, roughly the amount we invest. We give the entrepreneur the money and we say, we're giving you the money because – we trust you. You passed all of our screening process. You tell us when you need help. We're like a law firm. When you need us, you call us. But when you don't need us, we're not going to bother you. But when you do need us, watch how quickly we will perform and solve whatever it is you need. And examples of these inflection points are, you know, once, once a site gets up and running, um, then it's all about traffic. So we will introduce the company to Yahoo, Google, Facebook, Twitter, AOL, IAC, and get traffic deals, get distribution deals, so that the company keeps building momentum. Uh, when it comes time for the VC round, we, in, we do the introductions to the VC community. This is when the company's raising $5 million. You know, The typical angel round is a half a million to a million. The next step is the VC round, $5 million. But we do all those intros. We sit down with the entrepreneur and say, here's the three VCs we think should, should see this first based on the value they add and based on the value of that particular partner right. at the VC for that company. Um, and then, like it or not, every single startup has a management upheaval where the founders don't like each other anymore or they hired somebody that they don't, that one doesn't like and the other does. And because of our pattern recognition, and I've been doing this for so long, um, we've invested in over 600 companies. When that management upheaval happens, we can come in and, and be the marriage counselor. Um, so literally, every company we're in, I've played the marriage counselor role at least once. Um, 
And, and that's valuable just because I have a learning curve and I can say, hey, here's, here's what you ought to do and here's how, you know, eight out of ten times I've recommended this, there's been a good outcome. Um, but, and then we help at liquidity, you know, when it's time to sell the company. You know, most of these companies, the ones that are successful, are going to get sold. The IPO is the needle in the haystack now. So we do all the intros to the M&A candidates and if it's under $100 million, we don't use a banker. We set the price, turn it over to the lawyers, and the, and the company is sold. Just wanted to come back to that meeting that took place September 2010. Uh, Don't want to let go of that. <laughs> I just I really wanted uh, uh, to ask you, you know, Dave McClure published another post. I remember it really well. He was saying basically there was no colluding. There was no kind of deals. The, the angels just got together at that meeting to kind of Shoot the shit, I think he said in his in his post, and uh, so I was kind of weighing those two things back and forth. Um, what would you say to that argument? Well, my my attitude about that was, hey, if there wasn't an entrepreneur there, and you weren't saying to the entrepreneur, "Help us make you successful," uh, it was a waste of air. That's the, the that's the only point I'm making. I I don't go. I'm not in favor of having meetings with other investors. I'd rather meet with an entrepreneur and say, how do we get you to the next step? That's adding adding value. Okay. Do you meet with, um, you do handoffs to venture capitalists? Do you meet with venture capitalists? We do do meet with venture capitalists because they're an important part of the food chain for, for all of our portfolio. Because the next step is the venture capital round. So yes, we we try and maintain very positive relations with all the top VCs, so that when we do the intro, they get a meeting really quick and get a fair hearing. Right, right. Well, I'd like to open it up to uh, the audience here. We got uh, ten minutes or so questions. Uh, go ahead, right there, and I'll repeat the question too. What percentage of the company do you usually take? Yeah, so valuations. Uh, so we invest fifty to two hundred k. Valuations, let's say today, are roughly three to five million. Uh, two years ago, you know, they could have been half that. So that's been a creeping up in in valuations. So we typically will own one or two percent of the company when we invest in the angel round. By the time the company goes public, we own way, or whenever there's liquidity, we own way under a half a percent. But a half a percent of Google or Facebook is still very, very significant. So we rarely do follow-on rounds. We're just happy being the angel. We're, we're happy where we're at. Well, wait, I'm talking about what our 50 to 200K buys. The typical angel round will be a half a million to a million, so it will take you know ten to fifteen percent of the company for all the angels. All right, let's go right here. Go ahead. Yeah, that's so, uh, that's what this chart is. So the question is, uh, what kind of focus uh, does Ron have in terms of investment? So, um, so we're uh, SV Angel is thematic in its investing, and two and a half years ago we picked a theme of real time data. So any company where data is being spontaneously entered on the web, so you have the users building the content, 
Uh, and that is what's causing the explosion on the web that we're seeing today. We call all of that real-time data. Twitter, Facebook, perfect examples of real-time data. So we have this overarching megatrend that, that we call real-time data, and then we break it into seven buckets, social, real-time, big data, mobile. Mobile also kind of overlaps everything now. Uh, many companies are being started on a mobile platform, not a web platform, which we think is very smart. And then social commerce, online to offline, and then collaborative consumption. So what we try and do is find 20 companies in each of these seven sectors and hope that one of those 20 is the breakout company in that sector. But keep in mind, for every one of those, there was 29 that we said no to. All right, that lady right there. So the question is about management and having a lot of management, and how can an entrepreneur management upheaval, and what to what to do to mediate that? Uh, that's mediate? a great. Okay. That's a great question. Um, Two different. I, 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 yeah, I would say, but it's not like founders are careless in picking the other founders, but. So, so I, I, I actually, from a realistic point of view, I don't think there's anything you can do to prevent it. The only thing you could do is if when you were putting the founding team together is put a little more thought to, hey, are we really the right three founders? But usually at that point, the three individuals are so excited about the idea and working together and the fact that they're going to get funded, those issues don't crop up till later. So it's, it, it, it would be hard. But if you thought about it more in the beginning, you know, maybe some uh, groups would admit, hey, we really don't get along. It would be better if, you know, if, if, we, if we didn't do this together. So the question is, at what point, when you're bootstrapping, do you decide that you need some help and go to an incubator or investor or advisor? Yes. Even though I'm advising people to bootstrap as long as they can, the number of companies that have been bootstrapped to liquidity is tiny. Uh, you know, I use TechCrunch as, as the example. I, what I'm really saying is bootstrap as long as you can and then it is smart to say, wait a minute, now we could use some mentoring. Um, and we have enough traction that we're proud of what we have. And maybe we should go to an accelerator or do, or do an angel round. Um, there's accelerators springing up everywhere. Uh, the most prestigious, which I call the Harvard of accelerators, is Y Combinator. And I, I could not recommend them more. And there, there's other accelerators out there as well that give you a small amount of money and a lot of mentoring. Um, and if you don't think you need as much mentoring, then do an angel round where you know the mentoring is going to be less. But the vast majority of startups do graduate from bootstrap and go accelerator or angel funding route. All right, one more question, sir, Vector. So as entrepreneurs evaluate angel investors, how much concern should you have as far as the size of the portfolio goes? That's the question. Uh, I think it's all about the quality of the individual angels 
if if it's one angel, you know, how much value can they add? If it's like us, where it's a group of six, how much value can that group add? What is the power of that person's Rolodex? Um, SV Angel, since I've been doing it since 1994, we can get to the management of any internet company. And when I say management, I mean CEO and the five people that report to the CEO. When there's an order change at Google, uh, like there was recently, we go make sure that we know whoever the new people are because our portfolio companies need access to that. Um, so, you know, even though our, our portfolio right now is 300 companies, so you could look at that and say, well, that's stupid. We'll never get any time out of them. And um, the fact of the matter is, when you're at an inflection point and you need that intro, that is what we spend our time on. So we're very, you know, incident-driven. Um, oh, conflict. Yeah. Uh, you asked that. I, I knew I didn't answer the whole question, but I couldn't remember what it was. Conflict of interest is a big issue. Um, but now I'm going to tell you it's not. But because in our portfolio, many companies have morphed into the space of one of the existing companies unwittingly. So no matter what, you're going to deal with conflict if, if your investor has a portfolio of over 30 companies, which is most of them. Um, we actually have a conflict policy that when we know there, well, we actually show the conflict policy to every company. But when we, like we invested in Gowalla when we had already invested in Foursquare, before, at the first meeting with Gowalla, I said, do you know we're an investor in Foursquare? Yes. Do you want to continue this meeting? And he said, yes. Now, I think he made the right decision because we do not get into product strategy. With a portfolio of 300 companies, the last thing I have time to do is go dig into one company's product strategy. I have no idea what the product strategy of Twitter, Facebook, Foursquare, and then you know the 50 companies that no one knows the name of we just invested in. And we don't want to get into the product strategy. But our conflict policy actually says that. But our conflict policy also says, we think we're decent people. You have to trust us. This word trust is a big word. And you either trust somebody or you don't. By the way, we look... One of the things, you know, there's like 50 traits I am evaluating when I'm talking to an entrepreneur, and it takes like 10 minutes to do it. One of them is, hey, is this entrepreneur going to trust me? Is this entrepreneur like, like they're not answering every question directly? You know, we, I say, who, who are the other angels you're talking to? Some entrepreneurs say, I'm not going to tell you that. Kaboom, I'm probably not investing in that company, even though I think it's the next Google. That's not a trusting person. So you have to trust people. <laughs> There ha there's not that many cases of corporate espionage where somebody actually stole somebody else's idea. Um, so I, I kind of think it's a non-issue is, is my answer. All right. With it that, should be covered, though. I mean, now I could stay longer. Is it because people have to? Uh, some folks will probably just end, and then people can ask questions. We'll have another 10 uh, minutes or so. But with that, yeah, I'd like, uh, like to thank Ron for such an awesome talk. Thanks for coming over. It's been awesome. And yeah, people can come up and ask questions for 10 minutes, but we usually try to come up with us.